This is The Ruck, the rugby podcast from The Times and The Sunday Times. So, rugby's taking its unscheduled circuit breaker, but there's still so much to talk about. One game that did go ahead, of course, Ealing Trailfinders beating Saracens to make their case to be included in an expanded premiership. Are we on the verge of ring fencing? And if so, what does that actually look like? And with the two rounds of pool matches cancelled in Europe rather than postponed, how is the European season going to be resolved? By the way, where are we with the British and Irish Lions tour to South Africa? I'm Lawrence Manalio and joining me today are the lockdown superstars, Stephen Jones, Owen Slot, and Alex Lowe. Gentlemen, good morning to you all. Um, we've got so much to, uh, to talk about and digest in the world of rugby. But before we do, just talk about general lockdown life in version three. I was chatting to uh, a couple of colleagues and friends, etc. And, and the general feeling is that is that people are struggling a little bit with this lockdown, a bit more than maybe uh, they were in March. Jonesy, if I start with you, you're not, not, not a man to get bored very easily. You've been out and about. Um, I mean, how are you finding this, this third lockdown? Well, since Professor Whitty um, rang me and he said, uh, do you want one of these vaccinations because you're in a very important position, it's transformed it because I know I, know I can't get the virus. I don't, they don't think I can. I've had, the, I've had the injection and I'm going like a bomb. I'm going to bars, to restaurants, etc. Um, complete safety. And uh, you guys may be on, the, uh, on a break, but I'm still working hard. I was at live rugby on Saturday. I didn't see any of you three there, actually, but I'm sure you were there somewhere just behind the scenes. No doubt you were there. It was a Saracens match, and we know how much you're, the, you know, the, you're very fond of the Saracens these days. So uh, um, These days? How's your lockdown going? We've adopted dry Thursday breakfasts. That's been uh, been quite quite important. That's that's the health regime we're, we're, that uh, that we're running. We had uh, house cleaning on Saturday. That's why obviously I'd have been at Saracens, but um, all the kids were told to contribute to uh, to cleaning the house, and I'm one of them. So uh, I did the sitting room really nicely, actually. Mrs. Slot, if she listens to this, will uh, be on the phone and disagreeing. Um, that's a very stressful day, uh, the day cleaning the house. So I actually probably will go with Jonesy to watch Saracens Doncaster next weekend instead. Fantastic. Well, you can have a carriage each to yourself. There we go. And Alex, a man who's, who's certainly not struck down by boredom, um, you must have been on the edge of your seat last night with the conclusion of uh, the Super Bowl uh, playoffs. Uh, your beloved champions, the Kansas City Chiefs, were nearly on the verge of going out. Mahomes, their, their quarterback superstar DJ, was taken off uh, with a um, DJ or even QB, was taken off with an HIA at some points during the game. And they brought on their, their sort of reserve quarterback, Chad Heen. They nearly went out last night, didn't they? Yeah, it was. Um, they were cruising, really, um, when Mahomes was on the field. And then he took a blow, which it didn't look like an obvious smack to the head that might knock somebody out. But he, yeah, the lights were out. He, he was punch drunk when he got up. Yeah. And then, then, then they let him run off into the changing room afterwards. He got up like Jonesy came out of that bar in Tokyo. <laughs> I mean, literally, he was in all sorts of trouble. He, no, he, he was. Um, and then, yeah, then Cleveland Browns got a, got a roll on. And, and it was quite a good lesson in teamship, really. That although American football it, it hangs around the quarterback so much, the, 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 the Chiefs defence stood up and made some massive plays. And then, yeah, and then the... The 35-year-old uh, reserve quarterback who who hadn't, who's, I think he started the last regular season game when the Chiefs fielded their second team, but otherwise he'd hardly played for seven years. Sort of a bit of a Stephen Donald moment. Came on and uh, started well, a bit wobbly, and then won it at the end. And it was, yeah, edge of the seat stuff. And 
Um, certainly a nice distraction from the rest of a weekend of light slotty, a lot of house cleaning. I think the frustration for my two kids is the first lockdown, we were outside chucking rugby ball around and kicking footballs around and the weather just doesn't really allow for that now. So yeah, uh, as, as the longer they stay in this in the in the NFL season, the better for me because it's a nice distraction. When you're in your prime, how, how, did you get many offers from um, from NFL uh, teams? Transfer. <laughs> There's a little bit of movement, isn't there, Christian Wade? I just and, and the rest of it. I just imagine you might have started that off. So who knows? With Brett Gosper, the CEO of World Rugby, now moving to the NFL in Europe, maybe they've seen a, a rich stream of talent that could be uh, could go one way or the other, but. I have yeah, to I say, I turned down all offers as well. Actually, yeah, from, from the U Gridiron Super Specialist, what is the latest on Christian Wade and his American football career? From what I can read and, and see, he's made a really positive impression. But the the fact there was no pre season before this season really counted against his chances of making their their first team squad, their their fifty three man roster. So he remains on on the practice squad. So he's still a, a fully paid up employee of the Bills. He go, he'll go to training every day, but he needed those preseason games to try and earn a spot on the in the first team squad, if you like. And because they didn't happen, he, he really didn't get the chance. But I read a piece with him the other day. He said, he's, he, because he's now only focused on being a running back. So he's, as he said, he's focusing on the strengths of his game in rugby and building on them. He's, he's bulked up by 15K, uh, 15 kilograms um, in the last two years. Uh, in order to to retain the speed, but increase his explosiveness and I guess durability through through a tackle. But he doesn't have to worry about playing eighty minutes. It's short bursts. Um, doesn't have to worry about tackling or defending. Just focus on on speed and, and elusive running that he's so good at. Um, so we'll have to wait until the next off season to see whether he, he gets a chance of forcing his way into their into their first team roster. It's so hard to do because you're trying to you're trying to learn the minute details of a game that your colleagues have played for 10, 15 years. And you're talking tiny details, uh, which, which make all the difference. But, you know, he's such a vivacious character that he's, he's made a really positive impression and he's thrown himself into it. He's not talking about coming back or anything like that. He wants to, he wants to make it. Well, listen, we shall, uh, we shall watch with interest because anyone prepared to make that move is, is certainly very bold and, and very, very brave. Yeah. Um, there was actually some rugby is, as Stephen Jones has quite rightly pointed out, the uh, Trail Finders Challenge Cup, the Ealing Trail Finders produce a thrilling victory against Saracens. Some would say they proved a point because they won by a point, uh, 27 points to 26. Not the first time they've beaten a premiership side because I think they played Newcastle Falcons in a in a friendly. Now, I didn't watch the game, but uh, thankfully Stephen Jones did. I, I understand from reading the match reports that it wasn't a thing of of real beauty, but it was uh, full of passion, full of commitment. Eddie Jones was there to uh, uh, to watch uh, Billy Vunapola, but um, he probably uh, might have might have seen a slightly better performance from the Ealing Trailfinders number eight. If I'm honest, first of all, it was a lovely occasion. Um, when we got there, when I got there, <clears throat> I was led to my car parking spot by a, a guy in a golf cart. And it happened to everybody. So, so they were so organised. They were so welcoming. They got lovely facilities there, not not Premiership facilities, obviously, and a very very fine side. I mean, I don't think they would. They were really up for it, and they really really and they totally deserved it. They won by far more than one point, 
I think what happened for Saracens was, I think Vincent Cock was was there on the tight end, or was meant to be there, to just to look after their young forwards, and he dropped out just before kickoff, and that caused them a problem. But Ealing were, were terrific. They got Kieran Murphy in the back row, Pat Howard in the centre, uh, Alan Walker, Hooker played really, really well, and we really enjoyed it. I mean, the guys there, it was it was a good, hard game. It was fast. I think it did both sides good. I think Saracens found out a lot about their players. Billy was the only one, along with Duncan Taylor, who started from what you might call their first team. But they had players there who played a lot of rugby for Surrey. So it was an excellent win. Listen, we're going to move on to the uh, to the sort of very delicate and slightly controversial subject of, of premiership ring fencing. I know that, you know, clearly the, the victory from Ealing Trailfinders, the fact that that the likes of Newcastle Falcons, Bristol Bears and Exeter Chiefs all dominate the very top of the Premiership. These are the three most, the most recently, shall I say, promoted teams or three of the most recently promoted teams into the Premiership are currently at the top of the Premiership. Owen, you've written a piece in this morning's Times suggesting that clubs are going to agree to cancel relegation leading to a 13-team Premiership. This, of course could be expanded to 14 teams in 2022. I'm just keen to understand, you know, all of your opinions on on uh, ring fencing. I'm not a fan of, of ring fencing the Premiership in any way whatsoever. But uh, I think this season, and this season only, I can understand the reasons for doing that. The ring fencing, and, and should you or shouldn't you, is something that, that Premiership rugby has been discussing probably since before Webb Ellis picked up the ball, actually. They... they, they, they invented it before rugby that particular conversation and, and so this is just the latest twist and I, I think it's likely to happen but the number of times we thought something was likely to happen is ludicrously um, large as well so it, it would appear that the conversations are lending towards one promoted team at the end of this season and no one relegated which we kind of saw as as likely anyway um, particularly because of the COVID thing makes it really unfair to relegate anyone. For me, the interesting thing that, I, that I've learned from speaking to people over over the weekend was not so much that go up to 13, but that, that they're actually considering welcoming a 14th team uh, the following season. If you go up to 13, then there's actually no difference in terms of number of weekends for, from going up to 14, because you, you, it's four extra weekends, whatever way you look at it. So that's the thinking on going up to 14. So you could say, well, that makes sense. But you could also say, well, that's an extra four games for everyone. So a further dilution of the quality of the league, arguably. So there's some huge pros and cons there. I understand certainly the value of the championship. You know, Wasp wouldn't have a coach like Lee Blackett if the championship didn't exist to the way it does. And, and many of the best, or some of the best forwards are being signed from the championship. But surely there, there is a view that temporarily you could ring fence it for maybe one season, possibly even two, but not on a permanent basis and just see if that creates a, a better environment, a better ecosystem for professional rugby. There's definitely an argument for that. I, I think the issue is is, is one of, of structure and sense. You've, the season has started and the league put together their COVID regulations before the season began with no mention of ring fencing. So if you introduce something halfway through, is there a problem there in terms of integrity? Is suddenly changing, the, moving the goalposts? I think they could have easily have kept relegation and, and almost inserted a playoff at the bottom because the reason we have the playoffs at the top is to try and create a, a more level play field when clubs are losing... Or, Okay, the reason we have playoffs now is money, but the original reason we had playoffs was because teams were losing players to England. So it was a way of evening things out 
that the top four teams would, would still go go through. If you had that at the bottom, it, it might create a bit more of a, of a safety net against the allocation of, of COVID points, which is proving to have a really uh, disfiguring impact on on the league. But that that isn't in place, and it would make absolutely perfect sense both for competition reasons and integrity reasons to actually ring fence it because otherwise you're going to have teams down the bottom who are only there because of COVID or, or the flip side teams who would ordinarily be down the bottom on performance um, are mid table because they've had five games cancelled and have suddenly been granted five victories they might not ordinarily have had. So for me, the integrity argument it is greater to impose ring fencing than it is the concern about moving the goalposts mid-season. Beyond that, I think there's a there's a messaging issue again with with the Premiership. You know, we saw we've seen over the weekend the clubs talking about ring fencing and ex- potentially expanding the league. We had Darren Childs, the chief executive, and Phil Wynn Stanley, the rugby director, at the end of last week saying there would be no change this season, that the league would not be expanded. Uh, Phil Wynn Stanley said the rules are the rules and until there's, there's an update. And it, it feels like there's a disconnect in, in the messaging on that front. And we have to remember that the RFU will, will have the final say on this. They, the RFU council would have to approve an end of promotion and relegation because it's part of the, the regulatory framework of, of the league structure that they oversee. You've got to ask yourselves, how many advantages, these people who want there to be a ring fence, how many advantages do they want? When you go down, you get a huge parachute payment, which skews the whole competition of the championship because you're playing teams that are on a on a on a pittance. Also, when teams try and come up, they can't even sign. They can't even do their stadium. They can't sign players until it's almost in the closed season. The advantages of teams already in it are massive. And then, as you say, you get a parachute payment. You sort yourself out, and you come back. I hope they never ring fence. I'm sure they will because you get these frightened people. But I tell you what, I order match reports for the Sunday Times and they, they let me have that responsibility. There's no way we're going to go and cover a load of old rubbish after Christmas where there's nothing on it and there's no crowd and they're playing a bunch of kids. We just wouldn't cover it. Owen, is there a danger that we are moving into the realms of football where the gulf between the Premier League and the Championship is, quite frankly, enormous, even with the parachute payments. And I, I fear, given the RFU have withdrawn their their funding of the Championship rugby, that with this comp, with this talk about ring fencing as well, for me, the Championship plays a, a, an absolutely crucial role in the development of players and the development of coaches. If we don't have a competitive Championship, are we in danger of of cutting off the blood supply that actually feeds the Premiership? Yeah, but I think we've pretty much already done that, haven't we? The RFU have been running the cha- the championship down for years and years. Nigel Melville, bless him, tried to, um, uh, as Jonesy mentioned in his piece uh, on Sunday, uh, tried to uh, to promote a system where the um, championship clubs would buddy up with some premiership clubs so they would almost be a player share, which would be a fantastic way of developing players. Well, the premiership clubs gave two fingers up to that. So they, they said, we, do, we don't want anything to do with the championship in that regard. And now they would, now they're withdrawing their funding... I mean, the the idea that the championship is a, is a good place for developing players is one that's fading fast. That it's good for it's good for a, a nineteen twenty year old straight out of school before he's before he's ready for anything else. But Premiership clubs don't actually like g- giving their players away like that. 
and the, and the the gulf is stretching. Ealing are the only team in the championship who are really funding themselves to look like a Premiership team. And quite frankly, how could the other ones do that since they don't get any, they don't get any money and they don't get any crowds at the moment either? I'd always want to keep the um, the possibility of uh, of teams going up. I think you have to be able to to dream big, and um, so I think there has to be a a, a, a third way. I would side with, with Owen's point of view. In that conversation with Mark McCall last week, he, he was talking about the championship season and how it's due to start on March the 6th. But they don't know yet what the season will look like because uh, not every club is going to want to compete in, in the season coming because they can't afford to. And that, to me, just highlights the, the sort of the black hole that, that Owen talked about. You'd have a you'd, you have a fully professional team dropping into a league of, of semi-professional clubs now. And I just don't think that is good for anyone. I, I would certainly impose a, t- a two-year hiatus on promotion and relegation, allow, allowing Saracens back up. But use that two years to properly address this issue that's just been running on and on and on. But I, I, I would be on, on Owen's side of that of this argument. I just think, I don't think relegation helps anyone anymore. Just, just, just one other thing for, for that I think we need to say. We're all talking about this from the Premiership point of view. What about from the Championship point of view? The Championship is is a non competition at the moment because the, the club that wins the Championship is the club that got relegated. So, what about the other teams in the Championship? They're actually not competing for anything. The only the only team that is competing is is Ealing, which has two games against a relegated team every year and, and an outside chance of winning. I mean, it, the, the, part of the reason the Championship is dying is because it's a non event because there's nothing to play for because no one can go up. Apart from the team that's just gone down so if we want to help that level of rugby and I, there's some brilliant rugby there and I've enjoyed watching quite a lot of it but it is too far away from the premiership and if you give the championship something to play for like a cup or a competition or a chance of, of promotion then you might help everyone but just the way it is at the moment with Saracens going down Saracens going back up again it, it doesn't achieve anything and, and how many teams want to go up? Like, I was just saying, Mark McCall saying that not every team wants to play this season. So, yeah. you, so, so once you've got, once you've narrowed down the teams that are actually happy to play in this season because they can afford it, how many of those even want to go up? It's even fewer. You're like, you're talking three or four. So, I absolutely w- would never want to block the idea of promotion because we should encourage that. And you can, there's so much great, so many, so many great things you could do with the premiership in splitting it into conferences and in, 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 in being innovative in, in, the, in the way you structure the top flight in England. But I just think we've got to the point that it's not a competitive league for a premiership team that comes down because I'll come straight back up. So I am with Slotty. First of all, I can't believe that four rugby fans like us are rubbishing some of the great clubs. Secondly, here's a great idea. Fund the ruddy championship properly make it a pro D2, and instead of saying, oh, it's no good to go there, make it good to get in there. It's as simple as that. Yeah. But then you can, great you can clubs do that. doing their best. That- Coventry spent the last month feeding 500 people. With Even though they haven't got any money, they're fundraising to f- feed uh, uh, starving youngsters around near, near their ground. These are Steve. great clubs, and they've been knifed. It's not their fault. They've been knifed in the front, in the back, and in the head. And it's about time people started sticking up for them. Some of these clubs in Division 2, as I said on Sunday, have done far more for rugby in their careers than some of the Premiership will ever do. Steve, no one is rubbishing any of those clubs. And no one. And I'm not disagreeing with you about how we've got into this situation. And, and if the RFU were to decide to fund that league properly, then brilliant and create a, a proper pro deeder. That'd be fantastic. But how long is that going to take? 
before any of those. As long as it takes. As long as it takes. No, well, exactly. So uh, go to Lawrence's point. If if that was the way that the RFU decided to go, which they won't, but if it was, then you could fund that league, and, and at the point that it becomes competitive, then you can you can change the structure again. Well, I think we are missing the point that the elite end of the game is having trouble funding itself at the moment, let alone anything else. So uh, the question posed was: Are we in? Are we thinking permanent, temporary, or no relegation and promotion? I think we're sort of landing on the temporary until the game has reset itself. Enjoy more rugby insight and analysis throughout the season with the Times and the Sunday Times. Get a subscription today and get one month free. Search the times.co.uk forward slash the ruck for more details. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Premiership Rugby revealed last week that the last two rounds of pool matches in Europe would be cancelled and not rescheduled. So rounds one and two were played to varying degrees of success for various teams. Rounds three and four have now been cancelled. If that's the case, there will be just four weeks uh, in April and May to complete the tournament, which will switch to a uh, knockout format. I think we're all agreed and I think the club's sort of shrugging their shoulders and understanding that uh, the reasons for these, um, for these cancellations and the fact that they may have to move what has already been a, uh, a tournament that's, that's had its schedule changed this season and this season only into a straight knockout. But I guess no one's quite sure, will it be the top teams, the you know, the top four teams from, from Pool A playing the bottom four teams from Pool B, which would pit the likes of Wasps, who are currently top of one pool against the champions Exeter, who are somewhere down the bottom of another pool. Does anyone have any any strong sort of leaning towards a particular structure? I think if if all the leagues had moved fixtures forward and and retained that the two weeks in the calendar that have been lost in in Europe, then they could have carried on finishing the tournament as planned. That obviously hasn't happened and, and wasn't possible. So they've lost two weeks from their from their league, and that left them with two alternatives, as far as I can see. Either they complete the pool stages and ditch the quarterfinals and go straight to the semis, or they call it as it is and go into the knockout. And I, I don't know what the economics would have been on on that decision. I don't know where whether BT would have, for example, would have preferred the final two rounds of pool matches, which didn't, not all of them had much hanging on them versus a home and away quarterfinal. I think the knockout is better personally. I think that's the better option because it just adds some drama and some excitement. Whereas two more rounds of pool matches, I think would have been a little bit stale, you know, and, and so they, they were forced into a decision and I feel that they're going to make the right one there. Yeah. Owen, Premier Rugby came out and decided eventually that, uh, Rounds uh, seven and eight of the Premiership would not replace rounds three and four of Europe, so they wouldn't bring forward the Premiership to free up some space. Now, do you think that was a decision that they made unilaterally, or do you think it's mm. uh, it, there was never ever going to be agreement from all the Premiership clubs, because some of which were happy to play with their England players, and some other Premiership clubs were very happy to play against clubs without their internationals playing. 
Lawrence, did you actually ask that question without a smile on your face? Well, it was a loaded question, wasn't it, really? But uh... The answer is that the, 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 the clubs for whom it was uh, helpful to have a break um, voted for a break, and those who desperately didn't want one voted against it. But uh, initially, I just thought it was a, it was a, a terrible decision that they that they didn't fill that, that hole. But as Alex just said, it's not so terrible for, for Europe, the solution they've got. Um, in fact, I quite like it. And geez, we we bang on about player welfare in too many games um, uh, in the rugby media all the time. Uh, and this actually is, is a two week break that's been that's been kind of forced upon them. So uh, m- m- my initial sort of uh, uh, shock horror that they made such a stupid decision is is not really it doesn't really stand so strong anymore. Joe Jonesy, the um, a lot of our listeners were sort of screaming out for the Premiership to bring these fixtures forward, and doesn't it just show you that that there is a bit of a power vacuum that exists at the moment in terms of who's actually running the game. Is it the is it the dog wagging the tail or is it the tail wagging the dog? Isn't it premiership rugby sh- should be uh, mandated to make these decisions and everyone else should just put up and shut up? Of course it is. The disconnect is massive, Lawrence. First of all, uh, premiership rugby are, are a extremely bad. Uh, and two, extremely bad at conveying decisions. The privacy, the secrecy is unbelievable. If they had a respect, uh, if they had the respect of all the clubs and they were a good organisation, well, those clubs who, who didn't agree with them, at least they'd be go along with the majority. But it's just so fractured. Nigel Melville is a great... Uh, he's a great pal of mine. He's a, he's a great administrator, but has he got a job on? He has got to get that organisation by the throat and drag them back into the, this century and uh, and try and make them efficient. Because at the moment they're letting the game down, and uh, they they really are. And you look at the club rugby at the moment; people forget. The likes of Wasp, Bristol, Exeter, these guys—they've really enlivened the winter. They they're playing some great rugby. And they're, they're being let down. I mean, what's that thing about donkeys, you know, led by donkeys? Well, it's all bags of carrots time for this lot, honestly. I want to spend the last 10 minutes or so talking about the British and Irish Lions because I know that this is something that everyone is very passionate about. Will the tour go ahead? Will it go ahead in, in, in the format that it's supposed to, i.e. will it go ahead in South Africa? Will it be this year? Will it be next year? Is it going to happen in the UK? The big issue we have is that DCMS won't commit to any, um, you know, any confirmed kind of status on travel, on stadiums for fans, et cetera, et cetera, until this vaccine is rolled out. The vaccinations, which seem to be going okay in the UK, uh, are way, way behind in the likes of South Africa. Jonesy, anyone who read your, your, your view in the Sunday Times, which was an impassioned plea, the Lions are tourists and they're only tourists, would argue one way. I want to give a player's perspective, what the players actually think about a Lions tour in the UK. What do they think about going to South Africa? Any player just wants to be a Lion. And given the current state of play, I'm pretty sure that players would be happy to be a Lion in the UK rather than not being a Lion at all. Anyone who thinks this tour is going to be played next year in 2022, unfortunately, I think is, uh, is, is living in cloud cuckoo land because that is a year before the Rugby World Cup. And as important as the Lions is, uh, unfortunately, it's not as important as a Rugby World Cup in the eyes of some or of the people that make those decisions. So- Look, people said to me, blimey, what you don't realise is that uh, the forces of, uh, of the game are going to be, uh, it's going to be in uh, this country. And I said, yeah, of course it is. But I, I don't expect me to to, uh, to agree with it or not to oppose it. 
it, 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 right in the teeth until it happens. But it's going to be in this country. There is absolutely, in my, where I disagree with you, Lawrence, and I respect your opinion, of course, as a, as a lion, where I disagree with you is this blanket thing that 2022, it can't be then. As Bill Sweeney said, oh, well, Eddie Jones won't like that. Well, Eddie Jones, is, is, he, is he the in charge of world rugby? Is he the only decision maker? On the Lions tour, you'll play a maximum of four games. How does that affect a Rugby World Cup in 13 months after? And after the Lions come back, England have got 13 more games. How long does it take to, to put together a team? If I ask you the question, a Lions tour in the UK or no Lions tour at all, you'd accept a tour in the UK? If you ask me that question, I made the decision to say, right, no Lions tour at all. Okay. South Africa is the next Lions tour whenever the Lions are due. No Lions tour means that how many tens of millions of pounds are lost to rugby? I mean, uh, this is a game that's on its bloody feet at the moment. The, the Lions tour, as we keep on reminding ourselves, is one, one of the great financial providers to the game. It keeps unions alive. So to say that we shouldn't have one just seems ludicrous to me. I, I would infinitely prefer it to be uh, in South Africa a year later like Jonesy, but I can see that that's not going to happen. And so I'm, I think we, we have to make the most of, of what we're going to get over here. And I do actually think it's going to be a magnificent festival atmosphere to have a, a Lions tour going around the country here they'll, they'll import the, the South African teams the super rugby teams to, to, to provide the sort of the, the warm-up preparation games I think you'll be able to fill Old Trafford to see um to see the Lions play against the Sharks or the or, or the Bulls for instance so it I mean it just has to go ahead and just one other thing I will say is is there there are people out there who are suggesting well if you have the Lions tour at home that's the death of the Lions the Lions won't the, the Lions will die after that I mean, that's just absolute nonsense. There were people saying that if the Lions lost to the All Blacks four years ago, that would be the death of the Lions. That was nonsense too. There is so much behind the Lions, so much will for them and so much finance created by them that the Lions will not die. We'll get back on it in Australia in four years' time. We just have to make the most of whatever we can do this time round. Where's the finance by the Lions? The finance by the derived by the Lions goes to the host union. And no one no one's actually ever mentioned anything about South Africans' economy that were booked that were that were booked to get hundreds of millions. Slotty, the problem is with the Lions, and the reason why they get shoved aside by the four home unions is that they don't make any money. It would feel like 2015 World Cup. It would be a great festival of rugby when it happens. That every game will be sold out, and it would be a wonderful thing to dream of. But it's it's so way so far down my list of of how I would want that, that Lions tour to unfold, particularly as as I'm so suspicious of the reasons why the home unions are now so behind it. Because as we've said on this pod before, they have squeezed the Lions to the point of suffocation until they get a chance to host a, a series at home. Now they're falling over themselves to try and, and stage test matches, which I just don't like. I don't like that. And, and on Owen's point about the Australia tour, I would just worry that they would see the commercial values of hosting it at home and it might alter how future tours pan out. Um, but having having said that, and one thing we haven't mentioned is there's no way, how can we guarantee that there'll be fans in stadiums in this country in the summer? And I'll make a decision in the next few weeks, Lawrence, and say, yeah. right, South Africa wants to postpone it. The, the home unions won't postpone it. So it's going to end up being a decision to try and play in the UK. But then what if we have no fans allowed in, stand, in stadiums in the UK? What, what happens then? I mean, it, it's a very unsatisfactory situation, and for me, postponement is is the only option. But you know, and, and I'd be really interested. My last point: 
that Lions board has four executives from the home unions, but also four Lions representatives from the home unions. You know, Yian Evans, Gavin Hastings, Tom Grace and Jason Leonard. How much say did they have in a board meeting? How much influence can they impart upon the executives and argue the Lions case for, for, for postponement, not the home unions case for postponement? Jason Leonard is the chairman. We have not heard one word from him in this whole, nor, nor all the others, we have not heard one word. And that suggests they've been told to shut up, which is a disgrace. Come on, Jace, speak out, mate. You're the chairman of the Lions. Well, I think they're trying to get themselves into a position that when they do make a decision, they make the right decision because it, the impact for everyone, from players to fans to administrators to, to all of us who love the game, will be huge. And I think what, what this edition of the, the Ruck podcast has shown is that no competition in no country is immune from coronavirus. We've talked about the premiership, the ring fencing, and the reason being that COVID has had a massive impact on that league. We've talked yeah. about Europe and cancellation of fixtures, all down to, to COVID. We've talked about the Lions and rescheduling and the potential implications, all down to COVID. So uh, I think what we've got here, gentlemen, is a, is a is tournaments, is a sport that has been t- utterly turned upside down, as have so many people's lives you know, by this dreadful virus. So uh, we want to finish on a positive. We are going to finish with a um, with, with our usual slot of a god or goddess of the week. I've got a feeling that, that yours, uh, Alex, might have a slightly NFL twist about it. So Chad Henney definitely deserves a, a mention, but I'd like to just, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed that there might be other opportunities to to, to nominate a, a Kansas City player for god of the week. But so my, my nomination, I spoke to, um, to Alex Popham, and his wife, Melanie, this week. Yeah, as we all know, Alec was diagnosed with um, early onset dementia, age 41. And he and his wife, together with uh, a couple of doctors who, who have connections in football, set up a new charity to try and fund some research into neurodegeneration, but, but mainly offer support to athletes, to, to sportsmen from rugby and football uh, who are struggling, uh, who are suffering with early onset dementia. So they've, they've started a fundraising campaign. Geraint Thomas is taking part in, in a 24-hour cycle. So just for sort of a, a attacking things and trying to make a difference and trying to help people, uh, I'm going to nominate Alex Popham and his wife, Melanie. Very good one. I've got to, uh, I'm afraid I've got to go for a trial finder this week, Lawrence. The great Alan Walker. He's been a tremendous hooker for a no- number of teams this week against Saracen, scored two tries, played brilliantly, jumped 15 feet in the air towards the end, and he looked a premiership player all over. Alan Walker. Owen. Eleanor Snowsill, the Wales and Bristol fly half. On Wednesday last week, the um, Women's Six Nations was postponed and a lot of complete and utter numbskulls went on social media to announce that they didn't care. The amount of abuse that the women's game gets for no reason at all at times like that is is so pathetic and uh, it, it takes a, it takes someone to stand up against it. So Eleanor Snowsill went back on uh, Twitter herself and started taking these people on, which, as we all know for, on social media, is, uh, it, it is just um, a, a battle you'll never win. But well done to her for fighting it. I'm going to add another Ealing Trail Finder onto my uh, God of the Week, the director of rugby, uh, Ben Ward. Uh, yeah. I think uh, anyone who... Uh, can, uh, can beat Newcastle Falcons and Dean Richards in a friendly and then back that up with uh, knocking down the uh, the three times European champions and and, uh, and an incredible squad, even without their superstar players. So I think my God of the week goes to Ealing Trailfinders, Director of Rugby, Ben Ward. Well done to you, sir. 
My thanks to Owen Slot, to Stephen Jones, and of course, Alex Lowe. There's no such thing as a quiet week in rugby. The Ruck will be back next Monday. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review and you can subscribe on Acast, iTunes, or your usual podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.